Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, glad you're with us again for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool awaits. We've got good, bad, and crazy. Maybe it's actually good, crazy, and crazy, but the first crazy's got a lot of bad in there, too. So anyway, glad you're with us. We've made it through uh, another week. Hopefully you can make it through all the anniversary retrospectives of the onset of the lockdowns, Jim, because there's nothing uh, as exciting or depressing in reality than realizing that you've been doing this for a year. But uh, our good news is today that people listen to the Three Martini Lunch, even in Albany, which is deep, deep blue. Just yesterday we were saying, sure, you got all these Democrats saying it's time for Cuomo to resign, but he's not going to resign, so... What are you people going to do about it? Is anybody actually ready to call for impeachment who has any power to make it happen? And apparently, the answer to that is yes. After, obviously, our very effective discussion of this yesterday, Jim, uh, this is a statement from the Speaker of the New York Assembly. After meeting with the Assembly Majority Conference today, I am authorizing the Assembly Judiciary Committee to begin an impeachment investigation led by Chair Charles D. Levine to examine allegations of misconduct against Governor Cuomo. The reports of accusations concerning the governor are serious. The committee will have the authority to interview witnesses, subpoena documents, and evaluate evidence as is allowed by the New York State Constitution. I have the utmost faith that Assemblymember Levine and the members of the committee will conduct an expeditious, full, and thorough investigation. This inquiry will not interfere with the independent investigation being conducted by Attorney General Letitia James. And so... Jim, on one hand, this could be to string things out, let the media get distracted by something else, but there's already at least 55 state assembly members uh, calling for uh, Cuomo to go. Uh, In addition to that statement, uh, the investigation will also be about the nursing home scandal, not just about the uh, sexual harassment and assault allegations. So we'll see where this goes. We also know that 11 of 19 U.S. House members uh, who are Democrats are now calling for Cuomo to go. Haven't heard anything from the senators yet, but it would appear the momentum is continuing to grow. And now that there's actual impeachment movement, uh, that could be significant. Yeah. And it's once you get the ball rolling, these things do tend to kind of create their own momentum. There hasn't been any exculpatory evidence. There's been no reason to think that any of the women are not accurately describing what they allege Cuomo doing this to them. In one case, we literally have a photo of it happening. Uh, Cuomo's excuses and explanations haven't gotten any more detailed or made any more sense. Uh, in most of these cases, he's still sticking to the, I had no idea that you know these women didn't like this. And I think the allegation stemming at the... Uh, the woman at the governor's mansion with aggressive roping and things like that. That really sounds like one of the worst ones. So it, it really does sound like the, the allegations are getting worse. It's getting harder and harder for Democrats to not call for his resignation. As we talked yesterday, and I turned it into a corner post, and it's turned into a kind of a, you know, I think a pretty darn strong argument. That level of wrongdoing where you say, oh, the person should resign, but I myself am not willing to take any action over it. I myself am not willing to impeach or remove from office. That really doesn't make a lot of sense because you've already decided the guy shouldn't be in office any longer. But you're saying whether or not he stays in office should be up to the person who you've just said has done terrible things and and showed terrible judgment and shouldn't be in office anymore. That does, there's kind of a, a lack of internal consistency there. So I suspect at some point the Democrats would have to say, 
at some point you'd have to then vote against impeachment. Uh, at some point you'd have to then vote say, oh, I don't think we should move forward with this investigation. Uh, and I think it's going to be a very tough vote for New York Democrats to, to make. Now, you know, Andrew Cuomo still has a lot of power. And I guess one of the things I kind of want to say to these Democratic lawmakers is that if you say, well, I think he should resign, but I don't support impeachment. Well, that's not really creating any pressure on him to resign because he knows you're not going to do anything, right? Why should he give up the governorship? If you've made very clear, you're going to live with him being governor if he just chooses not to leave. If you say, I support impeaching this governor, well, then now it creates a little more pressure to resign because if he resigns, at least he can go out on his own terms, thinking of the, pro- the precedent of, uh, uh, of Nixon. I think you could probably look at Al Franken as an example of a guy who uh, began to fear serious consequences from his colleagues, uh, censure, or maybe even eventually people moving to remove him. Now, by the way, a lot of Democrats then said, oh, we were so harsh on Al Franken. Oh, we, were, we had such a rush to judgment. Franken is at eight, and the last score we were at, uh, uh, Cuomo's got six women uh, making accusations against him. So you add it all up. I, I think this is building towards a, it's very slowly building towards a serious impeachment effort against Cuomo. I don't like to use the phrase, the walls are closing in after hearing it as a, like a <laughs> mantra for the better part of the four years of the Trump administration. But I think it's safe to say that the, the governor is in hot water and the temperature is rising and fewer and fewer Democrats are going to be willing to take any kind of a political hit in order to keep him in office. Another thing we learned, Jim, which is probably not going to help Andrew Cuomo, and we're not in the business of trying to help Andrew Cuomo, certainly, but the Wall Street Journal has discovered, quote, in the days after Governor Cuomo was first accused of sexual harassment by a former aide, the governor's office called at least six former employees either to find out if they had heard from the accuser or to glean information about her in conversations that some said they saw as attempts to intimidate them. Some of the people who received the call said they hadn't heard from the administration in months before getting the call about the accuser. So there's nothing that says I didn't do it than having your uh, lackeys call up people you haven't talked to in years and saying, hey, you got any dirt on these ladies? I was going to say, that really should be the sort of thing, like if you had any wavering, if there was any part of you as a lawmaker who's like, ah, the fact that he began, you know, this, you know, by the way, this fits, by the way, with his public bullying behavior. We've seen in his press conferences, other state lawmakers have said about, you know, the idea of the governor calls them up in the middle of the night and screams profanities at them, you know, um, this, this fits that pattern of behavior. And, you know, if, if sexually, you know, sexually harassing people, your employees is very wrong, then attempting to smear the reputations of the ones who come forward. I mean, who's this guy I think he is, Greg? Bill Clinton? <laughs> exactly. The funny thing about this, Jim, is that it appears that part of this effort, at least, at least if the Wall Street Journal is correct, is that this effort was uh, in part kicked up by Melissa DeRosa, who is uh, one of Cuomo's top assistants. And she's the one who tipped off the legislators about the nursing home scandal, which was really the tip of the iceberg on all of this uh, not that long ago. And so uh, the fact that she's still one of the ardent defenders and the fact that she's the one who kind of kickstarted this unintentionally uh, is quite fascinating. But uh, nothing looking good for Cuomo. And uh, in these circumstances, that's definitely good news. But we've got good news in terms of a good deal for you on pillows from MyPillow. Did you know that in addition to all the good work that they do on their pillows, that MyPillow is giving the same attention and quality to their towels and sheets? Right now, three Martini Lunch listeners can buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets, as well as the Giza Dream Sheet sets. You know, MyPillow towels have proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent, they're soft to the touch without that lotion-y feel. They have a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. They're washable, they're dryable, and they have seven colors you can choose from. 
The Giza Dreams bed sheets are made with the world's best cotton, and the sateen weave gives them a luxurious finish that will have you sleeping great. A 10-year warranty and 60-day money-back guarantee for the sheets as well, washable and dryable with a wide variety of colors and sizes to fit any style. Also, visit MyPillow.com to learn more. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners, as we said, all six-piece towel sets and Giza sheets are buy one, get one free. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. That's MyPillow.com, code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104 for buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets and Giza Dream sheets. All right, Jim, let's talk about yesterday's first primetime address from President Biden. Did it from the East Room with that famous hallway behind him a little bit earlier than usual. I caught a uh, replay of the speech because I just assumed it was at 9 o'clock. Silly me, realizing that uh, Joe might have a slightly earlier bedtime than, than Donald Trump. Let's talk about two things that really kind of annoyed me. First of all, whatever you think of Trump releasing statements uh, the last couple of days of, hey, if you like your vaccine, remember to thank me. But uh, nonetheless, last night, Biden acting like nothing was getting done on the vaccine front until he walked into office, even though he had received both doses of his vaccine at that point. Here's how he tried to couch it that his administration is responsible for where we're at right now. In my first full day in office, I outlined for you a comprehensive strategy to beat this pandemic. We've spent every day since attempting to carry it out. Two months ago, the country, this country didn't have nearly enough vaccine supply to vaccinate all or ever near all of the American public. But soon we will. We've been working with vaccine manufacturers, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, to manufacture and purchase hundreds of millions of doses of these three safe, effective vaccines. And of course, Jim, the vaccine distribution process has considerably ramped up since January 20th, and his administration uh, deserves credit for for that. Uh, there was also at the end of the speech what I think he described and, and hoped was a hopeful theme of, hey, if everybody does what they're supposed to, gets vaccinated, stays safe, we might be able to get together with some folks to celebrate July 4th. Here's how that sounded. If we do our part, if we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout and a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. That doesn't mean large events with lots of people together, but it does mean small groups will be able to get together. But to a lot of folks with perhaps a little more of a libertarian mindset than Joe Biden of, if you're all really good and you all behave like I tell you to, I might let you get together in four months. Might not have come across exactly how he thought, uh, even though a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of people is a hopeful sign. So, Jim, uh, some encouraging notes, but uh, overall, uh, a guy who refuses to share the credit when he wants to be a unifier and a uh, little bit of nanny statism there that we could do without. Yeah, I think you put your finger on it. But the New York Times, of all places, had a really good front page story yesterday that talked about what parts of the vaccination program got started by Operation Warp Speed and the Trump administration and what parts the Biden administration expanded. And the Times came across it like, you know, they both deserve credit that the, the, you know, the first steps are actually going to be the hardest one and the Trump administration got that going. And then as more vaccines became available, the Biden administration was able to really, you know, increase the purchase orders, increase distribution, get them out the door faster. Look, I'm willing to give the Biden administration credit for what it's gotten done. I do think they should be, it, it, I guess the other thing that kind of nags at me, Greg, is like the, 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 
the campaign's over, right? There, there's no political harm in saying, you know, Operation Warp Speed did a really good job. And uh, uh, Salawi and uh, uh, Gus Perna and everybody who was involved in that was terrific. Oh, by the way, we've had this argument before. Remember that, you know, Biden and Kamala Harris had made this, or at least, first of all, they're unnamed Biden sources. And then Kamala Harris said, we inherited nothing. We had to start from scratch. Now, on the second day, maybe it was even the, I'm pretty sure it was the second day of the Biden administration, Saint Dr. Fauci <laughs> went before the podium and said, no, 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 they didn't, you know, they, you know, they expanded on some things. We've had some things we wanted to do and all that stuff we were doing, but by no means were they starting from scratch. Now, some people are going to point out that, you know why, you know why Anthony Fauci might be one of those guys who wanted to insist they're not starting from scratch? Because he started from scratch. <laughs> because Fauci was there. <laughs> You know, you can't say, oh, yeah, I did nothing till January 20th. I completely slacked off until Biden was in office and then I got on the job. Obviously, that's a nonsense argument, right? So it would do Biden no harm to say, hey, you know what? I have a lot of problems with my predecessor. I have a lot of disagreements. But on this one, thank you guys for getting Operation Warp Speed going and getting that initial you know, vaccine efforts going. We've been able to expand it and bring it to many more people, et cetera, et cetera. The second thing is, I don't think I have to rehash for our podcast listeners because they've probably heard me go on about this over and over again. The 100 million shots in 100 days was actually a fairly low threshold. We were doing a million shots a day before Biden took office. So that by itself. Now, once you raise it to, 200 to 150 million shots in 100 days, that's a little bit better. And actually, we're going to hit 100 million shots administered probably today or tomorrow or something like that. And we're actually got a really, we're averaging now more than 2 million shots a day. You can do the math on this. You can get really close to 200 million shots done in those first 100 days. By the way, that's really good. Oh, by the way, I mean, I, again, I feel like there, there are times where you just insert the gif of Will Ferrell screaming, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. What frightens us about the coronavirus? Well, is that it could kill us. Now, the thing is, is that, you know, 90, high 90 some percent, close to 99% of people who get this will not die, actually more than 99%. And the people who are at highest risk of dying are those who either are elderly or those who have what they call comorbidities, which sounds really, uh, uh, really morbid and grim. But, you know, basically the gist is if you've got some pre-existing health problem. And oh, by the way, some of these pre-existing health problems are really common in this country. Uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, obesity, um, if you've had cancer treatments, your, your immune system made for one reason or another, your uh, smokers and people who have, you know, previous respiratory problems, asthma, right? If you got any of those things, you getting a respiratory infection from, from SARS-CoV-2 and, and suffering COVID-19, you, you know, you're probably going to be fine, but your chances of pulling through are a little bit less than for everybody else. And your chances of bending with the hospital are a little higher than for everybody else. Does this mean you should panic? No, but it means you got to take it seriously. If you can get to the point where people, now here's the, we really have never had much reason to say, oh my God, you know, uh, 18 to 35 year old adults are going to drop dead because of this. At least not if they have no pre-existing, you know, conditions or health issues or something. Um, even, you know, you look at the, the numbers of people and their octogenarians and all, the good news is like 90% of them are pulling through. To get less than 90% survival rate, you got to go up to like 80 people above age 85. Yeah, that's that's pretty close to our, our regular life expectancy as is. So we shouldn't, again, I'm the last person in the world who'd say, downplay this, don't treat this as a big deal. This is a big deal. 525,000 Americans dead is a really, really big deal. But we're now well into the process of vaccinating the most vulnerable. Honestly, once you've gotten the senior citizens vaccinated, which we're making good progress on, once you've got the people with other conditions vaccinated, 
I'm not going to say we're golden, but we're in really good shape. We really should. Our caseload may continue. You can still catch it, but we're not worried about people catching it. We're worried about people ending up in the hospital and dying of it. That's, you know, if, 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 if all COVID-19 could do is make you sick for a couple of days, well, then it'd just be the flu. We don't shut down the country over the flu every year, right? We, we get our vaccines and we try to get through and God, you know, a whole bunch of various strains of the flu aren't covered by the vaccine we get every year. And you get sick for a couple of days, you stay home from work, you stay home from school and life goes on. That's victory condition when it comes to SARS-CoV-2. So my sense is, again, I'm not going to put a precise date on it, but we're making really good progress at more than 2 million doses a day. You know, it's March 12th. It's a one year anniversary of when everything went to pot, shall we say. Um, You know, by April, we'll be in really good shape. By Memorial Day, I think we'll be in really good shape having vaccinated just about everybody who's at least vulnerable and also willing to get it. Now, if you're not willing to get the vaccine, hey, look, that's your choice. That's your decision. I'm not going to make you do it. I'm not going to run down the street and jab you myself, although the thought has crossed my mind. Uh, but I am going to say, you know, so at that point, like, okay, you're on your own. Like if, if you end up succumbing to COVID and you because you chose not to get vaccinated and you're not allergic to it, you don't have some health reason, you're allergic to an ingredient in the vaccine, that's on you. All right. I'm not changing my behavior because you refuse to get the vaccine. But anyway, I think by early summer, we're going to have vaccinated just about everybody who wants to get vaccinated and who really needs to get vaccinated. And at that point, Americans should be getting together for backyard barbecues. At that point, they should be going to the movies. Let them go into the restaurants at, at you know, at least 50% capacity, if not full capacity. Because at that point, we'll all be protected for, against the worst case scenarios. We don't need protection from getting sick at all because we get sick from stuff all the time. Although ironically, the flu season has been really, really exceptionally mild this year. Probably because everybody's washing their hands like crazy and everybody's wearing masks and nobody's shaking hands anymore. And we're generally interacting with each other, people, with each other less than we did in previous years. Anyway, that's a really long way of laying it out. But the short version is, is that actually the Biden is trying to sound really bold and like he's got this amazing schedule to get us back to normal. But in fact, he's really dragging his feet on this. And I mentioned in a corner post yesterday, Biden wants to get the country back to normal. When if there's anybody in the country who really doesn't want to get back to normal, it's probably various Democratic allies of Joe Biden, like the <laughs> teachers unions, for example. So we'll see. But another kind of fun, fun thing to keep in mind, Greg, is that 50 days from now, Biden says we don't, we're not, said wasn't going to extend masks anymore. Be really interesting to see if he actually keeps to that or if that one's like, oh, we just decided you need it for another two months or so. Because remember, people are treating Texas as if it's, you know, now Mad Max because they rescinded their state <laughs> one. And, you know, anyway, still got to wear it in Walmart, still got to wear it in HEB, all that kind of stuff. So, well, I'm sure Dr. Fauci will have seven or eight competing and conflicting opinions <laughs> between now and then. Six masks, two, three, none, whatever. I mean, hang on, let me roll my 20 sided die to see what the uh, Fauci opinion is. <laughs> A little D&D humor for everybody out there. Whatever question has come up in the past 12 months, uh, he's been on at least two different sides of it. So uh, amazing. But uh, part of it, obviously, you want to get the credit for things opening back up. But at the same time, there's a uh, sense of you can't let the crisis go to waste. I think they see that with the COVID relief bill, even though things are clearly easing up over the past two months. Uh, And uh, be interesting to see what else they try to cram through related to uh, this emergency, whether it's infrastructure, we might as well do it while everybody's still not back to full strength on commuting and everything. But uh, they're going to try more and it's going to cost us a lot if it gets through. So crazy. 
But what's not crazy? Saving money. The government won't save money and won't save you money probably. But when it comes to actually saving money for yourself or for your business, stamps.com is the way to go. Because no matter what you're doing, let's face it, taking time to make that trip to the post office, probably not how you want to spend your time. So that's why we recommend mailing and shipping online at stamps.com. Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. You can send letters, ship packages, and pay a lot less with discounted rates from the United States Postal Service, UPS, and more. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office that's sending out invoices or an online seller that's shipping out orders or even a giant warehouse sending out thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. You simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. And once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's just that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts of up to 40% off of post office rates and up to 62% off of UPS shipping rates. Not to mention, Stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder that nearly 1 million small businesses already use Stamps.com. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead for all the reasons Jim just mentioned. Plus, there's no risk. And with our promo code 3Martini, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in three martini, all one word. That's stamps.com, promo code three martini. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. And Jim, when you see how much you can save on postage, particularly if you do a lot of mailing, whether it's through the postal service or, or UPS, you'll, you'll see that credit card bill, especially for your business, and you'll say, all right, all right, all right. Which brings us to Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey is thinking about running for governor of Texas in 2022. And he was asked about it seriously today by Al Roker on the Today Show. Correct me if I'm wrong, you are considering running for Texas governor? Look, it's a very honorable consideration. So am I considering that? Sure, it's a great thing to, and an honorable thing to be able to consider. What I've got to choose for myself is I want to get into a leadership role in the next chapter of my life. Now, what role am I going to be most useful in? I don't know that that's in a political position or if that's me as a free agent. So that's something I'm personally working on is what is my position of most use in a leadership role? So, Jim, he's decided he wants a leadership role now in this phase of his life. Isn't sure if politics is the way he wants to do that, but uh, he's clearly thinking about it. It's an honor. Um I mean, there's lots of bongo drum jokes out there, possibly a governor being high. Wouldn't be the first time, I'm sure. Uh, Jerry Brown was governor, especially that first time. Uh, but what do you make of uh, the celebrification of politics yet again in this situation? And whether Matthew McConaughey would uh, be an interesting candidate? You assume that he'd probably be a lefty, but he has said some things over the years that uh, would give you pause. I mean, he's not clearly not qualified in the in the normal sense, but what do you make of this? I think if I if you asked me three times how I felt about McConaughey running compared to other celebrities, Greg, I'd have to answer. I feel um I feel all right, all right, <laughs> all right. 
Um, because once you use it the first time, I had nowhere else to go with that joke. Anyway, <laughs> so the, the one observation, yeah, I, I don't see him running as a Republican. I'm, you know, 99 times out of 100, I'm going to prefer a Republican to a Democrat. 99 times out of really, I'm going to prefer a Texas Republican to a Texas Democrat. Uh, but one thing I just, I, I do feel a slightly better vibe towards Matthew McConaughey than towards a lot of other celebrities. And among them is that, you know, he's probably left leaning, but he's never given off a vibe of being a particularly partisan guy or uh, eager to to be kind of combative or, or dismiss what you assume would be one half of his audience. And, and you know, because he's from Texas, he's deeply rooted there. You're just not going to see him uh, sneering. <laughs> you know, it, 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 he's not reflexively opposed to red state culture because he is fr from red state culture and he clearly you know loves uh, the state of texas and all that kind of stuff and the other thing that kind of jumps out is i remember he tried to offer this semi-inspirational you know not quite fireside chat but the short right around this time one year ago he issued this video it was it went up on social media and it was it was clearly off the cuff it was not Winston Churchillian oratory. It was not, you know, remarkably eloquent, but he said, we're heading into something really frightening and uncertain. And we don't really know what it's hand, but this can also be our finest hour. This can be the moment where we all look at each other and said, Hey, we all help each other get through that. And that's something we can all be proud of. And we can say that, you know, we can demonstrate that we will be there for each other through, you know, through this hardest of times, even if we physically can't be close to each other. And it was an attempt to be a very unifying sentiment. It was a time when, when everybody else in Hollywood was on this, you know, knee jerk, you know, frothing at the mouth, furious at the president attitude. Um, he just wanted to reassure people and let us know that we had the ability to make a difference in this circumstance. I thought it was a really good one. There was a nice modesty and humility to the tone uh, that didn't necessarily come across in say, Gal Gadot getting all of her friends to sing Imagine. Um, and I got to point out, Greg, like Gal Gadot is just a goddess. And I don't just mean that because she plays Wonder Woman or just because she's Israeli. And, you know, the one time I went to Israel, Greg, I found the country just three things in just absolute abundance. Beautiful women, automatic weapons, and beautiful women carrying automatic weapons. Um, and I just want to, you know, but I guess so that, that video that her playing Imagine and all that stuff, all those celebrities in their uh, palatial homes out in Hollywood singing, we're all in this together. Yeah, it didn't do much for me back then. So I, Matthew McConaughey, I'm going to have a, a warmer, fuzzier feeling towards. I still don't necessarily know if the guy's qualified. And I, you think the experience of Jesse Ventura might say to some celebrities, and, and even Arnold Schwarzenegger for that matter, that sense of like, Governing is hard. Governing is hard work. It's it, it's not just smiling and reading speeches and stuff. And finally, like you know, if, if based on the track record of governors, Greg, should we just at least stick with with the cast of Predator and go with like Carl Weathers or somebody? <laughs> I don't know if he's a Texan, but he's uh, done a good job in The Mandalorian. So uh... this is a man who knows how to make a deal, and his heart <laughs> is in the right place eventually. That's right, but uh, he sometimes takes an underdog too lightly. He learned that uh, the hard way. <laughs> but that was a long time ago. Hopefully he's learned his lesson. But in terms of, of McConaughey, if he does run, number one, I hope he does some internal monologue commercials like he did when he was pitching Lincoln, <laughs> which made no sense. Yeah. Also, he both Chrysler and Wild Turkey, and they had a very similar vibe. And I'm like, I hope he's not drinking the Wild Turkey while he's... Uh driving Chrysler or whatever. Oh, it was a Chrysler. I don't even remember. But uh, the other thing is, you know, who's thinking about running, at least on the Democratic side, is Beto. And I'll say this, dead serious. If it's McConaughey Beto, I'm McConaughey all the way. Right. It, it's like, he, you know, it's like he's trying to play a Matthew McConaughey character without being Matthew McConaughey and able to pull. You just like 
Beta O'Rourke is an Owen Wilson character. Now that you have that in your image, that, that image in your head, you're, so you're welcome, true. America. That's so true. Oh, man. Uh, at least in the primary, I'd be all in for McConaughey. I'm sure I'd probably support the Republican in the general. But uh, I could just see a debate where Beto's going on just furiously screaming about what he'd ban and McConaughey would be over there saying, hey, man, chill out. Take it easy. <laughs> well, now I want him to run, Greg. <laughs> This is the most tantalizing gubernatorial bid since Kid Rock was thinking about running there for you Senate go. in Michigan. Oh man. Hey, Kid Rock would be better than Gretchen Whitmer too. I'd be I'd be all for that if that the Republicans can't come up with something better there. Anyway, uh Jim, good way to enter the weekend. Enjoy. I'll see you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Also, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We're very grateful for those five-star ratings and your very kind reviews. Please tell your friends about us as well. Uh, Remember, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast and follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend, and please join us again Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Joe Biden's immigration policies are already causing huge problems from stopping border wall construction, releasing criminals into our communities, exposing our children to them, to the desperate people being exploited by the cartels on their way into the United States. I'm Sarah Carter. On The Sarah Carter Show, we are following this issue very closely, and I'll share my expertise and my terrific sources to explain how this impacts our nation and our families. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.